was just reading her death scene. I don't know why I'm doing that myself. That's great, though. Yeah, I just, um, I think I told you this. I just bought the, um, through Audible, I downloaded the, it's that, it's that translations, the translation that we both have, the, what is it, Peaver? Yeah, Pavir and Volkonsky. Pavir and Volkonsky. Um, read by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm. Daddy Gyllenhaal. Yeah. So I want to start start listening to that. I cannot fucking wait for us to do the honorable woman. With that will Oh take, yeah. That is gonna take us like eight hours. Oh yeah, that's yeah. To talk we gotta to. do that one. It's like Maggie. Just her physicality. <laughs> talk about like giving people the right material. Like who yeah. Who on paper would have thought that that would be like the perfect role for her? And it's mm. the best, best thing I've ever seen her do hands down. Oh, yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That is on our list. Yeah. I mean, there's so many big ones we still have to do, but it's also like, gotta spread them out. Gotta spread them out. We really do. Can't have a whole season of heavy hitters. Oof. Gotta pepper in those. This season seemed like every single one was like a heavy hitter. And the surprise like downer was Catherine the Great. I was like, I know. this was supposed to be so good. <laughs> well, and that at least like people at home, you you know that we're not just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Let's right, we're not just like watching movie. things that we like. And we're not just watching things that like you and I agree on everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. We there is discrepancy. There is like taste. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah. not constantly just like nodding in agreement with each other. Like we we're trying to like try different things and like we're things. Analyzing I've, art, Carl. We're literally revisiting the wealth and breadth of this oeuvre, if you will. The television the miniseries. miniseries. Television. Yep. And like, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, this is where the stars are going. Yeah. You know, like, here we are. Like, it's doing an HBO miniseries is kind of like, the thing to do now like it's it's got its own status symbol to it you know and, like the and for writers and directors like oh you don't want some studio telling you to like pare down your character piece uh three right. hour be into like an hour and a half well you know what stretch yeah. it into six hours and make it a mini series <laughs> like, yeah no i mean that's a, one of the things that problem. is like actually really remarkable to me is um and, you know, I'm excited for, like, when we eventually get to do Mare of Easttown on the show, because we, yes. we obviously will at some point. Um, but one of the things that is, like, really remarkable to me about this miniseries is that it is not based on a novel. There's, It's not based on any existing IP. Like, this is an original story written for television. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, for a miniseries, that's always been rare. Right. 
they're almost always adaptations. Right. Like the, the origins of this format are we invented the miniseries so that we could adapt novels without having to gut the plots, you know? I want to watch this book. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and TV allowed for somebody to make a six hour version of that, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, like that is a, a, a very unique thing that this is a miniseries that exists only as a miniseries and it was written to be a miniseries. Wow. Um, that is really interesting. I honestly, at this exact moment, I can, I'm sure there are, but I cannot call upon, well, I may destroy you. Um, oh yeah. That was written to be, to be a miniseries. And that's not an adaptation of anything, you know, like obviously like everything that is written as a miniseries is meant to be one, including you, Big Little Eyes. Um, but, the, but again, that's based on a book, you know, like uh, talking yeah. about like original IP. Right. Not an adaptation. It's very, when very you see, rare. You see the same thing on, in you know, musical theater. It's like, yeah. next to normal was not based on anything right like you know and it's it's worse uh younger brother dear evan hansen was not based on anything yeah an existing ip it's just- even in film i mean that's like that's just part of it now you know it's it's so hard to sell things on spec anymore you're right um and it's not like ben inglesby is like you know, some, some kid off the street, like, <laughs> right. Uh, he, um, he wrote that movie that Ben Affleck was in the, the way, way back, which was supposed to be very good. I heard um, that that was like, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's, I don't know. It's that kind of story that like gives me a lot of hope that it's like this guy just like wrote this miniseries, Mayor of Easttown and through i'm sure a sequence of like connections and whatever but like it made it to kate winslet and she said yeah we're gonna make this and i'm gonna be in it Mm -hmm. and now it's on hbo (laughs) boom even for somebody at the at that level to sell a script that is not an adaptation and that has like a ton of characters a really complicated world really complicated relationships between all these characters and Kate Winslet as this like incredibly gruff, gruff Mm. detective. Like, I don't know. It's very exciting to me that projects like that can be made. So. Oh, completely. Yeah. The genre of the miniseries. I love talking about it. I love seeing it grow and transform. And I think Mare of Easttown is like a very, uh, it's a very interesting step even further into what the genre is becoming. It's it's utterly perfect. It's a perfect art form. I I adore watching, talking about. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Exploring. And it's how HBO is, I mean, this show at least, like it's how HBO is keeping appointment television alive because it is yeah. packing its, you know, it's it doesn't have a Game of Thrones and it doesn't have another Game of Thrones in sight right now. Oh. You know, it's got these fucking prequel series right. coming, but 
But I, I, I highly, highly doubt that those spinoffs are going to have the cultural impact that Game of Thrones had. Especially since the ending left everyone feeling so shitty and so right. And like the thing that made Game of Thrones so exciting was that it was a totally new genre hybrid, you know, like as we were saying before, like Rome absolutely paved the way for ultra violent, ultra sexual (laughs) costume drama. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like you, it is, it is a, Proven fact that you would not have Game of Thrones without Rome. Um, But what Game of Thrones does with like high fantasy is something different. It's, it was a completely unique genre experience for television. And Uh, reading the books, you feel that way too. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is something familiar, but this is something very new. Yeah. But, uh, I was I was reading an article recently that was like kind of talking about streaming and binge watching culture and how it's very unlikely that HBO will ever command the audience the way that they did and and create event television the way Game of Thrones was. I mean, you it's like the Sopranos, you know, like it was like HBO is really kind of the only network that has into the age of streaming, been able to have a property that people shut down their lives at 9 p.m. on Sunday to watch that show. Yeah. That is an incredibly rare thing to find now. And I mean, it's Mm -hmm. something that like, I have a particular affinity for. Like, I love watching like even something like Mare of Easttown week to week because it's a mystery and I like, you know, following it, but I hope that's never permanently lost. I hope that sense of like, it's Sunday night, it's the night of my show. So I'm going to watch the episode of my show, you know? I love that. That makes me feel good that you feel that way. But like- I know that you don't. With my, well, and it's funny. It is funny. Like my, with the way that I eat things up and the way that I like have to hyper-focus on a property, like it doesn't matter what it is, like, if it exists and I'm watching it, like I'm also like reading the book and like, I I kind of like have to go too far into it. And it is like, if I have to wait for something like Netflix, basically I felt like, oh shit, this is like made for me. The whole season of, you know, Orange is the New Black or like Stranger Things, you know, the first couple of seasons, Mm -hmm. this is out all in one thing i'm gonna watch this all in one day and like experience this whole thing yeah like you know what i mean and then it's like nail biting until you get to the next season and like the crown and like all of the the, you know what i mean that is like so how i like to watch things yeah i I guess like i don't dislike that experience but i will say this i have never ever revisited or rewatched a show that i binged that way Oh, I have man. never rewatched a single season of The Crown. I have never rewatched a season of Orange is the New Black. That is shocking to me. Because it's like, 
I feel so spent at the end of it. Like, okay, I've consumed this entire thing. Now I get it and I've consumed it and it's out, you know, like where's something like that I have followed week to week. There's something really, really satisfying to me about, especially with a mystery show of like, you know, following from week to week, seeing how these things play out. Mm-hmm and how whatever the twist and turns of there's something really satisfying of like going back and watching it all yeah uh and being able to really savor the totality of it in retrospect like i will rewatch big little lies all the time in part because i remember the absolute thrill of waiting for each of those episodes week to week. So each single installment of that is, it has a very specific memory for me, you know, like. Yeah. I, I, I just savor the structure and the construction of it uh, and the craft of it much more than if I'm watching 13 hours of this one thing in a row Um you know, I'm not, I'm not taking any time to really like soak anything up and then it's done. And I'm like, all right, that was good. Like, I, I, like, I enjoy the crown, but I think, I don't know. I need, I, I need singular episodes that feel complete to me uh, in order to rewatch something. Like I, I, yeah, I've never, I've never rewatched something that I've binged. Wow. I love that. I love that for you. <laughs> I do. No, I really yeah. do. Cause like, that's so not my experience. Like I love, Ooh, like this day and it's on the calendar and I'm going to get all my stuff situated. Yeah, too. Yeah. And it, like, you know what I mean? yeah. And I will go, I go, Oh my God. I watched these seasons. I think the last thing I watched week to week was big little lies and the, the sheer anticipation like drove me mad. I was just like, I can't take it. Um, but, but that is like, I, Oh my God, I go back and eat these things up like so many different times. And like, you know, even if it's just like I'm putting it on before I go to bed or if it's like, no, I'm like going to clean the house. I'm going to put on something during, like on a Sunday. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, miniseries have become, and you and I talked about this on like the first episode, they've become almost like ritualistic. Like, yeah. It, oh yeah. A miniseries I will do that with, you know, like. Yeah. But again, I think like, there's just like a, a, a feeling of installments to that. Oh yeah. That. And also just like the length of that, you know, I, I guess like the thing is like, for me, like I'm never going to go back to the crown because unless I've carved out the day to watch the new season of the crown, like I don't, I don't think about episodes in the crown with the exception of this past season, because there are standout episodes in it, but like, I never rewatch those things. And like, I don't have like 13 hours to just sit and watch all of this. You know, like I, I, like I can't sit and focus for that long unless I have already made the plan that I'm going to sit and focus for that long. Like on days when seasons of the crown are going to drop. And I mean, we did this with Orange is the New Black too. Like there was an entire day yeah. when I think it was, it was either season two or three. I think it may it was, have been. It was two. It was two. Yeah, it was two. 
and we like had the whole day plan you mm-hmm. know uh but um yeah no anyway that, it's like i i don't know i don't know i i like that we think differently about this you know oh yeah it's, and i think like yeah i i hope i also I, have a lot more time on my hands than i than i used to but, it's, but again so maybe it's like, that's, i don't even it's not even just a time thing i don't even, i don't even mean it that way it's just like Like there's just something mentally for me where it's like, I go through the whole gauntlet in one go or where I'm like, there's nothing my brain is like itching to revisit. I don't know, there's something, and it's not even just the, it's not even that I enjoy, you know, the the anxiety of waiting for the new thing, but it just, it, it allows me to savor each installment. Right uh processing an hour of something over seven days you do you do get you get to savor those details more than seven hours in one day yeah and i I don't know i i I guess there's just something to me that like that is more delicious about like watching all seven hours of big little eyes in a row after i have like spent the seven weeks watching it week to week you know yeah um and and mayor of east town is one that like you know i have my predictions and i'm i'm pretty sure i'm at least partially right about where i think this is going but it's it's one of those things where even like from the pilot i'm like oh man i'm gonna love going back and watching this whole thing as one piece when it's done nice um but i don't know i mean it's I don't think there's anyway, a right way or a wrong way. I don't either. I don't either. And luckily, like, th- you know, like I said, you know, HBO gives you that option. Netflix gives you the option of like, here's the, here's the new season, guys. Check it out. Um, oh, yeah. I'm trying, to think of other, I'm trying to think of other streaming services. Hulu, Hulu um, does Follow. that kind of batch release. Yeah, they do like three episodes, three episodes, three episodes. That I really don't like. Well, that's the first experience I had with that was Handmaid's Tale, which is just like, why are why am I putting self what am what oh my god, wow, my brain. Why am I putting myself through this? Yeah, I made it through those first three episodes and I've never looked back. Yeah. Oh, I've watched all of it. I'm I'm up to date and it's except for the ones that just got released. Um, because I can't um, do it again. I'm waiting for them to all be out. <laughs> <laughs> just, just get the full masochistic experience. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I'll, I don't even know if I'll return to this season of it. Yeah, because it is just a, it's a slog. It's a slog. It's, it's painful, and you know. I'm fine with that and I understand I understand the story it's telling um I just don't necessarily know I don't know how much I don't know how, I, I don't really know what it's doing yeah. you know what I mean like what's the point right god I mean will we ever talk about Anna Karenna Anna again who can say um we'll, uh, we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there but Handmaid's Tale about a lot of things. <laughs> we're really, we're really going wide on it. 
We're working through some stuff, okay? We you know are what? processing our grief of Ellen McCrory. We're rec- we're recording this uh, at six p.m. on a Wednesday. I know this is this is like late for us. This is like not what we usually do. No, I'm um, usually like in bed. Then I get up. I have all my coffee and stuff. Do my thing. Fix whatever I need to fix, and then by noon. I'm recording with Kate Royal. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, is, this is like, I had a whole day. I planted a rhododendron. I'm like, yeah, I like was feeling very domesticated. Yeah. We had to, we, this is a weekday evening schedule because we were both knocked out by that second dose. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got our, we got our second dose. Our usual we recording going. day was when we were both, both in those, post second dose yeah got hit by the moderna bus oh sure did sure did i thought the first one was bad i thought covid was bad (laughs) because i had that i had that fucker back in december yeah and it was bad but jesus christ it's all coming back to me now with that second dose i was like oh everything hurts (laughs) cool Yeah. yeah no that it came on so suddenly for me like I got the second dose in the morning on Saturday, was pretty fine through the day, had a little bit of soreness in my arm. And then at like eight o'clock, it was like, oh, I've been shot with a gun in my arm. Right. Uh, <laughs> like I cannot lift this without trying in pain. Also, yeah. I am like very fatigued. And then suddenly was like, I have to get in bed because I'm covered in chills have oh, a fever. God. Oh my God. It was like nuts. Luckily I was able to kind of sleep off most of it, mm-hmm. but uh, it, like, like in a minutes, it went from like, oh, I'm kind of like a little bit tired to like, Oh, I'm going to die. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I got, got my shot at noon. Uh, this is, and this is for both times shot at noon and midnight. I was still awake of course because it's me and i was just like oh oh god the chills oh yeah. god oh god the chills and it was like aches chills fever i sweated through like three t-shirts throughout the night yeah. just like breaking the fever getting the chills back changing my shirt getting a fever again breaking the fever sweating yeah. through my shirt changing the you know what i mean it was unbelievable yeah yeah, I couldn't believe how shitty I felt. But it was, and then it was done. And the next day I was- Oh, and then it was done, yeah. Oh. Well, the next day I was, I won't say I was completely fine. It felt like, you know that feeling after you work out or like after you go for a run where you're like, you're shaky, but it's like in a good way. Yeah. Like you would use your body. I literally felt like I had like worked out. Yeah. Like in that kind of like uh, achy, sweaty way. And yeah. I was like, that's how much I literally like, fought this thing off was like my body yeah. was like did you work out because that, that hasn't happened in a while boy <laughs> that immune response it's no joke mm-hmm. the tough cookie yeah so, yeah if you're out there get your you know get your vaccine it, get your shot even if you feel like shit that means your body is is clean as a whistle and doing what it is meant to be doing working correctly yeah Two two and, days uh, of feeling like poo, and then you, you then you're done. You're fine. Better to feel like crap for 
day and a half, two days, then die of COVID. That's what I always say. COVID or just like not be able to get on a plane, have to explain to people that you didn't get it and why you didn't get it. Like, just go get it. Who gives shit? Relax. Enough. (laughs) Keep refilling our... (laughs) Cracking open another beer and... uh, Enough. Enough. Anna. We did that at the exact same time. <laughs> Anna Karenina. There's a new, well, not new. I think it's actually like over a year old, but there's a book called Anna K. That's, that's like a modern retelling. Yeah. And I haven't picked it up, but it was like, I think it was kind of splashy like over the summer. It was like a beach Anna, read. Anna K. K, a love story. A reimagining. And I want to say the protagonist is Asian American? Yes, she is. Jenny Lee is the author. Uh, the woman on uh, the cover is Asian American. And in all the prints, it says she is depicted as such. Yes, Korean American. Uh, Korean American. This is the Goodreads summary of this. Meet Anna Kay. At 17, she is a, at the top of Manhattan and Greenwich society. She has the, uh, even if even if she prefers the company of her horses and Newfoundland dogs. She has the perfect, if perfectly boring, boyfriend, Alexander W. And she has always made her Korean American father proud, even if he can be a little controlling. Meanwhile, Anna's brother, Steven, and his girlfriend, Lolly, <laughs> are trying to weather a sexting scandal. Lolly's little sister, Kimmy, is struggling to recalibrate to normal life after an injury derails her ice dancing career. And Steven's best friend, Dustin, is madly and one-sidedly in love with Kimmy. As her friends struggle with the pitfalls of ordinary teenage life, oh, so it's like a YA novel. Anna always seems to be able to sail gracefully above it all. Sorry, this is like longer than I thought. That's fine. That is until the night she meets Alexia Count Vronsky, quote unquote Count Vronsky at Grand Central, a notorious playboy who is bounced around boarding schools and who lives for his own pleasure. Alexia is everything Anna is not but he has never been in love until he meets Anna and maybe she hasn't either. As Alexia and Anna are pulled irresistibly together, she has to decide how much of her life she's willing to let go for the chance to be with him. And when a shocking revelation threatens to shatter their relationship, she is forced to question if she has ever known herself at all. Damn. Anna Kay by Jenny Lee. I feel like I heard that it has a happy ending. It's not like this like 17 year old throws herself in front of a <laughs> I would hope a subway car in uh Pennsylvania. Although, like literally the number one like <laughs> response. <laughs> oh no. Oh, God. It says all caps, the ending? Did anyone see it coming? And then the response is no. And trust me, I'm very upset. <laughs> so maybe she does. Maybe she does just fully, maybe it's like 
all this adaptation and then the ending is exactly the same and she just throws herself in front of the train she's at the 72nd uh and broadway like <laughs> where there's like the two things and she's like Vronsky, meet me here if you truly love me and he goes into the wrong one yeah because <laughs> you know how it's like it's like the two streets go like that yeah oh my god <laughs> like ah, in front of like a two train on a sunday yeah <laughs> people are like i'm trying to get to work <laughs> Honestly, like, I would seriously respect this book if it, like, still ended the same exact way. Oh, completely. Just, like, Gossip Girl with more nihilism. Oh, totally. Bless. Well, I don't know. Hope it's good. I just spent a lot of time reading that summary, so. Anna Kekapoo. Anna K. Um... Are we all talked down? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, oh, that, okay. Well, the, the budget for the music was $12. Just only $12. Talking about that. That like so romance theme, like the Kitty and Levin theme literally sounds like a bad, like pop, like a bad, like teen TV yeah. drama. It's like very weird music. Um, but then, like, there are other things so good. Just, like, acting-wise, it's just so solid. Everything else is, like, fine. The You know, the costumes and setting are very basic, but they're good. They're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. I put, I think, like, to once again compare this to the, to the Joe Wright version. Yeah, let's keep doing that, because that's, that's what this is really about. I'm not kidding. I'm not even. I don't know. There's just like, there's something about like what we were talking about before. (laughs) Kira Knightley, and I say this like, I don't mean this. (laughs) I don't mean this in like a snarky way at all. Yeah. But like when we were talking about Serioja, I was thinking about this, where it's just like, Kira Knightley is like not someone who I could like see having a child. Right. Much less like giving up her own happiness for that child. Right. You know? Like, yeah. And I don't mean that to say like Karen Knightley, you'd be a bad mom, but also like Karen Knightley, you're not a mom. And I feel like you've made that choice for yourself. And like, I deeply respect you for that. But the point I was making about like Helen McCrory's Anna, and, and I don't mean to say that like, let's explore the greatness of hers in comparison to like any weaknesses of Karen Knightley's. Like, again, I, like, I think there's very, very different objectives from both of yeah. these performances. Like, I think Joe Wright's version plays Anna and Vronsky. And I, again, like, I guess I don't know if this is deliberate, but like you were saying before, like the writing this and the performances in this miniseries are so tethered to the earth and they're so like real and emotional um, which is not the case in Joe Wright's version at all. No. 
and nor is it trying to be. So there's a no. level of bullshit that we're supposed to detect from Anna yeah. and Vronsky. Yeah. And thinking of their love as like a great love story is like part of the point of that Joe Wright is making. Right. But also kind of like uh, we as the viewer are a, a little more immediately aware of like you're both really in your own little universe that exactly. nobody else is in, you know, like this right. is not like the Vronsky, like Aaron Taylor Johnson's Vronsky is way more superficial than Kevin oh. McKidd's Vronsky. Well, and it's so funny because like, you know, on paper, um, I'm so sorry. Every time I learn his name, I forget it. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Okay. Not Anya Taylor Joy. Different ATJ. <laughs> ATJ in the Joe Wright version, on paper and in photograph, is that is the sexy Vronsky. That is the sexy yes. Vronsky that you want to fuck. But he's and not what? soulful in any way. He's a fucking he's a fuck boy. And guess what? In reality, in reality the person who's going to snatch you away from your husband is the Kevin McKid. Because yes. when Kevin McKid looks at you and you're like, I'm the only person in this room that he sees right now. I'm the only person in this room full of hotties. He's looking at me. Mm -hmm. That is the person in real life that you cheat on your husband for. That but guess is like, what? But, like, but Helen McCrory is also that person. Well, oh, completely. Well, and can we talk about the moment when he's like, he's like, you're, you're, he gives her like all these adjectives and he's like, you're this, you're this, you're young. And her head, the way her head snaps up at the word young. And it's like, maybe that's a cheap shot to Anna as a character, but maybe, you know, th that's not saying that this is not a woman who is like, coming to terms with her own, you know, her own mortality, her own, like, I'm a mother of one and, right. and I'm married to a guy who's much older than me. So now I'm, I'm just in a bracket of like older people. But the fact that he was, from my knowledge, he is going after Kitty, who is basically still a child, but he's going after me. So like, I am the young, wanted, I'm hot, the prize. I'm I'm a prize still too. Yeah. I don't want to waste my youth. The way her head snaps up at the word young, she goes <laughs> like a full-blown tongue pop. And yeah. it is sort of like, you know, you don't want someone who looks like they could be on the cover of Vogue being like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Like you, there's no way I would believe you in a million years. You want this tall sort of like thick-handed, thick-armed daddy being like, oh, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> and then my head explodes and then I sacrifice my entire life for like one night. Right, but it's like, I guess like that's, it's two very, very different readings of this couple. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, cause Kira Knightley is the like, editorial gorgeous 
which is exactly the movie he was making, which is- and, per- Right, like it absolutely like, you know, and like what a joke that like Alicia Vikander is like the, the one cast aside in this, you know. Right. Um, just hotties all around. It's hotties all around, but like the type of hotties that Vronsky and Anna are, or it like everyone around them is like, oh my God, you two are fucking insufferable. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, like, and like kind of, that's kind of the line where it's like, we think you're cool and hot, like independently, but you two as a couple is a fucking nightmare because like yeah. no one wants to be around you because you're so annoying. Well, it's like when the most pretty girl in your high school dates the most Exactly, exactly. Not even like the hottest guy, the most pretty guy. Like they're both far too pretty to be taken seriously. Whereas in like the Helen McRory one, it's like, oh, you're the person who it's like shocking. You're the best lay. It's right. It's like, and it's not to say that like, like Kevin McKinn and Helen McCrory are both like incredibly attractive people. But for the two of them, it's like, no, like the coolest woman you know, and like the coolest dude you know. Right. You know, like they're and they're not necessarily the hottest people you know, but the no, but like their energy is life. like they are the people who like when they are in a room, everyone's having a good time. You know, You'll so it's think like about that night far into your seventies. Yeah, I don't care who you end up with you'll think about that like less hot but amazing lay your entire yes. life. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, part of it is like, these are two alphas. <laughs> that, that is, And it's like, absolutely. that's part of why it doesn't work. They're both daddies. They're both just like- They're both tops. Bad. Like they're both complete tops. And like in the Kieran Knightley version, like in the Joe Wright version, like, like Karen Knightley and Aaron Taylor Johnson are like tops, but in like not a like tr- not like a BDE way, like not like they're like submissive tops, right? Like when she like gets on top of him in that woods scene. Oh my god! She's like like this. Like I like- guess maybe what I'm saying is like they're both just narcissists, and they both are just like we think we're the hottest people on the planet and like i'm attracted to someone who also thinks they're the hottest person on the planet when they're when they're having sex they're not picturing the other person they're picturing themselves right like it's like, a completely it's selfish that. experience for both of them oh absolutely but we're like oh this is actually something like wait i want to talk about something that i appreciated in the Helen McRory version versus the Kira and then yeah. the Kira versus the whatever. But Please. when when she goes to him for the first time, it's like in the <gasps> afternoon and it's not it's not sexy at all. It is like, you know that this is a woman who waited for her husband to leave for work for the day. She got her kid settled with whatever nanny she left him with and she went to his house and there's no dialogue. Yep she goes to his house for a nooner and it's like this is terrible you know how terrible this is for both of them and it's it's not so hot but and it's not even filmed like to be hot it's like clumsy and dumb and like animalistic and like 
that is what sex is and that is what like cheating on your spouse is like it's like (sighs) well that's like oh my god you know what what you're saying just calls to mind yeah one of the hottest moments on film and it's not even a sex scene really it's a prelude to a sex scene (laughs) um in the english patient which ashley and i just watched recently which also includes reference to anna karenina because mm. um, it is very much an Anna Karenina plot line in that movie. Yeah. But it's like that exact kind of moment where, you know, they've they've kind of coyly acknowledged, they've acknowledged to a degree their attraction to each other. Right. Um, but Kristen Scott Thomas has, has kind of made it clear to Ray Fiennes, like, no, I'm not coming up to your room. Like, this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then again, no dialogue. She j- he's like passed out on his bed in this in this hotel. And then he like looks up and there she is. No dialogue. And then he like comes up to her and doesn't even kiss her. He just clutches her and like slides down her body. Yeah. Or no, no, I'm skipping the most important part. He goes up to her and she smacks him. Right. And then he like, because she's like, I know this is wrong. I'm about to make a huge mistake. And I'm so angry at you. Don't feel good about this. Like, I, like you can't feel good about this. I don't feel good about this but I'm here and we're gonna do this, but I have to get this out right now. I have to I have to fucking slap you across the face because this is so wrong and I feel so much guilt for being here. But once I get that out of my system, we are about to fuck for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the hottest fucking thing because the second that is out of her system and he accepts it and he takes it and he just fucking like, falls onto the floor and starts ripping her clothes off. Mm. And it's like, okay. Well, they have, a, they have a bathtub scene too. They do. They do right after that. And uh, so does uh, Anna and Bronsky. Interesting. I wonder uh, if that was, I wonder if that was informed at all by the English patient. I really don't like the English patient. I've tried to like it. So That's so surprising times. to me actually. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? I'm curious. I mean, we don't need to get into it, but I'd be curious to know what you hate about it. There's like so many things. Oh man, I need to get my I need to get my thoughts fresh. But it was like it's just so it's so boring. There. And- I mean, you could have cut out Willem Dafoe's character entirely. Yeah, like Juliette Binoche is doing so much work to try to like make that thing watchable, and I'm like. Yeah. I guess like I guess what I'm what is interesting to me is that you you don't like the English patient but you love Out of Africa and to me those movies are incredibly similar. I knew that was going to come up. I knew yeah. that was coming. Up. I don't but understand I, a world where you can love Out of Africa and not at least like the English patient. Everything about Out of Africa, like I can just watch that story unfold and be like, oh yeah, oh fuck. Yeah. Well, because it doesn't have all the trimmings that the English patient does like I can see the criticism that like there's just too much weighing it down like there's plenty of subplots that could have been cut from it yeah um 
whereas out of Africa is is very very singularly about the that love story. Right. Yeah. Um, I also think the writing in out of Africa is unbelievable. It's you so know? good. I think Karen's in like every scene. She's yeah. in. Like, she's the through line and you're just following her and like yeah. with the English patient I'm like so who am I supposed to give a shit about right now like I, I no, don't that's know. real that's true that's real you know what I mean yeah. um but something I I will un uh I don't know I don't know what word I was just trying to come up with um that that's I think another Anna Karenina-esque story sorry totally well and that's like you know what I mean like a tale yeah. is all this time. Yeah. Here's my boring, competent, whatever the fuck. And like, here's this hunk. Like, let me go after him. Um, uh, that I think the Joe Wright version does so much better is establishing who the Countess Vronsky is and how yes. her story uh, informs and like kind of influences Anna's. Because it's like, she's in one scene that character connects love son extramarital activity horses train deaths (laughs) the the whole it's all there yeah the whole scene like the whole movie happens in one scene and like just her going like completely and her going like was it love and her and then her response is always like of course i mean my god you put you put cheeky yes you know what i mean like i'll eat up anything olivia williams is serving to me okay you know have we talked about this my like film guilty pleasure my go-to cry movie that isn't the lord of the rings is are you looking up her movies yes do it and tell me if you know which one it is you probably can guess i mean is it's cheap and you're gonna like think it's cheap but in a good way it's not an education no that's not a weepy movie no it's a children's movie okay Technically, but this adult loves it. Peter Pan. One hundred percent. Her, she. Has, I never. I actually have never seen that adaptation of Peter Pan. Oh my god! That's the, and that's Joe Wright, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Two thousand three. Oh no! Why did I think it was? Oh, Joe Wright did. Um, Oh, he did some kind of fucking Peter Pan adaptation. Did he do the? It was it was literally called Pan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Um, we should do a screen a screen share night where we watch the that Peter Pan, the Jeremy Sumter and uh, like Jason Isaacs. Yeah, she, she has she plays the mother, and she has this one scene where she talks about um. They're like you know, the dad has this big, like, you know, Wendy's going to not sleep in the nursery anymore. And like, Nana's not a nurse. She's a dog. And like, he yells at, you know, he yells at the kids and they get, you know, and then they have to go to the party. 
and she does the whole thing about like the 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 night lights are the eyes that a mother leaves behind to watch over her children mm. and she and they're like you know why do you have to go why can't father go by himself and she's like you know your father's a brave man but he's gonna need he's gonna need the special kiss to like get him through the the evening with his like uh bank partners or whatever and the special kiss is like this thing in like the corner of her mouth and they like it's so beautiful and she's like and they're like oh dad's brave like he's not brave and she's like she's like you don't understand like he had all these amazing dreams and he put them away to like be a father to you and they're like well where did he put them and she goes he put them in a drawer and sometimes at night we take them out and admire them and it's like it's like the most unbelievably like moving and beautiful thing and she's like it's just so fucking perfect it, she she's so me and that is like yeah. i literally i put on that if i'm like oh man i haven't had a good cry in a while i need to like ball my eyes out by myself in my bed i will put that movie on and cry from beginning to end yeah the james newton howard howard score is like completely mind-blowing oh, man. and like everything about like the kiss and the thimble and like they weave it all together in such a such a smart like adult way but it's like totally accessible for children mm-hmm. yeah she yeah. they have the scene between peter and wendy and she's like you are you are both you are in gallant and sufficient and he goes how am i sufficient and she goes you're just a boy and it's like <laughs> he's the boy that never grew up <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that anymore. It's so tight. It's so tight. She's incredible. I love, love her. I love her in an education. I love her in Anna Karenina. She's like, she's a, like a Winona writer for me, or it's just like, anytime she shows up, I'm like, yeah, you're going to get oh, we're in for, We're in for something good. Yeah. And even, you know, like it's not a large part in Anna Karenina, but like that, yes, I, I totally agree that that scene in that movie does a tremendous amount of work Mm -hmm. that it does not in the miniseries. And she doesn't like judge her for her connection to her son. She like, she like meets her halfway and is like, oh yeah, like I'm going to see my own son, like da, 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 da. And it's like, oh, it's the beginning, it's the beginning of the end. Yeah. And you don't even know it as an audience member. Because the thing is like, cause it's also like Olivia Williams across from Kira Knightley, like you understand like Kira Knightley looks at Olivia Williams is like, you're what I want to be when I grow up. You're hot. You're like, you're, you're I'm probably smoking hot when you're my age. Exactly. It's just like, oh my God, like, I'm so grateful to be sitting across from this woman who is proving to me that like, I won't necessarily have to like waste away. Like she, she gives Anna a permission of like, you can be me. Like I am a sort of woman who is like older and hot and like running game. And like, this is, this is an option for you. And it's like the part that makes countess vronsky be like no anna you did this wrong is like 
you're not supposed to take him home. You're not supposed to love him. Right. Like for real. And that's why she says in that like tongue in cheek, like that cheeky way, like, of course it was love. Always. Wink, wink, wink. wink. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, so good. Like, oh my God, it just connects. Well, and in the the one thing I like about the, the miniseries version of that scene is she talks about, um, there's like that great foreshadowing of, you know, when he was taught to ride, he was taught uh, bareback, like no saddle and he was thrown. And like, you know, it was like really, he was so sad. And then it, it oh, what is his fucking horse's name? His horse has like some ridiculous. Fru. What is it? Oh, Fru Fru. Thank you. And it's like he it foreshadows that whole thing of like he gets thrown from Fru Fru and then has to shoot Fru Fru and then he shoots himself. And it's like all of these things Tolstoy just set up for you and you had no yeah. idea. Yeah. So good. Yeah. To, to divert us for a moment to Kitty and Levin. Please. And this is less about an adaptation thing and more about just like a Tolstoy thing. This is like, and I'm getting a little bit outside Ooh. the scope here, but like something I, I was thinking about even in watching this, like, and I don't want to pull us entirely back into like the conversation we had about Jane Austen, about, yeah. you know, rescuing her from her reputation and that kind of thing but it's like one of those things where the scene between kitty and levin with the blocks or with Mm -hmm. the game in 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 joe wright's version it's the blocks i don't i actually don't know what it is in the book but it's it's this game where it's I'm I'm going to write a sentence with only the first letter of each word in the sentence, and you yeah. have to solve it. That is some rom com shit. Totally. And that's kind of like one of the things where I'm like, and 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 that was part of like in our Pride and Prejudice episode when I was making that connection between Jane Austen and Chekhov. It's that same kind of thing here where it's just like the ratio of romance to politics in a Tolstoy novel is not that different than the ratio of romance to politics in a Jane Austen novel. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or in a Chekhov play. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Mm -hmm. And like the scene in persuasion where what's his name friedrich hang on this seems friedrich uh when uh wentworth wentworth the scene in persuasion where wentworth and i think it's all in the scene where it's you know, I, I, I've taken your seat or something like, you know, I know that's, that's your favorite scene, but it's the scene where he leaves her, his letter in this Mm -hmm. very discreet way for her to find and, and read. Yeah. That's a moment of like really staggering romance, but it's so subtle and it's, 
it strikes exactly the same note in the context of the novel that this Levin and Kitty scene strikes in the context of this novel. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's just interesting. It, it, it's part of that conversation to me that we look at Tolstoy as this great political thinker uh, but it's like, and it's not to say that like we shouldn't think about Jane Austen as this great writer of romance, but it's like, we should think of both of them as both. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, like Absolutely. we should celebrate the politics of Jane Austen's novel the way we do Tolstoy and we should celebrate the romance of Tolstoy the way we do Jane Austen. Right. Oh yeah, War and Peace. My like, God, like, that, and, and it's the same thing with Chekhov, like mm -hmm. Nina and, and, and Constantine. And right, it's like, like all of these things where it's just- This isn't just a love story. This is a story about like growing up and being a woman and living through religious, you know, craziness. Like Right. And like, for me, it's not a matter of like, as we talked about in the Pride and Prejudice episode, I totally reject uh, the idea of, of needing to foreground Jane Austen's politics over the romance of it as a, yeah. as a, as a feminist reading of her text. Like, no, the oh. actual feminist way of looking at all of these things is to let both coexist and to understand that she is a genius at both of these things. Right. Romance is political. Right. And like, and it's political in the context of this and it's political and romance is it's political and part of how the politics are articulated in Anna Karenina is through romance. Exactly. This is a Look romance novel to the same degree that a Jane Austen novel is romantic. It's a political novel in the same way that Jane Austen's novels are political. Like, it's not, it's not more feminist to foreground the politics at the expense of the romance. No. You know? Eat it up. Eat both sides Eat both up. both of them up. It's, like, all, it's all there for you. Right. Like, my God. Like, Anna, like, this is a dizzying down. romance. It, like, Anna and Vronsky are this, like, kind of, like, trashy, sexy couple that are like so emblematic of these bourgeois politics and this bourgeois narcissism and indulgence and decadence. And like, yeah, and but even hypocrisy. within that, like, and I mean, I guess that's more kind of how Joe Wright reads them than, than in this, but it's like so much is articulated about class when you compare Kitty and Levin and Anna and Bronsky the politics are inextricable from the romance in this novel in the same way that they are inextricable in a Jane Austen novel, in a Bronte novel, any of that shit. Mm -hmm. In Shakespeare? In Shakespeare, hey, in I'm, Chekhov. That's exactly, I, and we can cut all of this, but like, that's what None I'm, of this, Carl. That's, no, no, no. I'm saying what I'm about to say. <laughs> like. Because that's what I'm doing with my much ado is it, it, mm -hmm. it has as much to do with the romantic elements and all of that is tied up in this new new money versus aristocracy that is losing its money, you know, yeah. old 
old English versus up and coming American, these men are coming to America to hunt wives, not the other way around. They're not the husband hunters that everyone that history has sort of painted these American heiresses to be like, oh, they were husband hunting, they wanted titles. These titled men were looking for money. They need none of them money anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Downton Abbey, honey. Hello. Well, and that's sort of like I'm trying to not be Downton. I'm trying to be like pre-Downton. Like right. Whenever like Grantham met. Well, because there was, I mean, there was like a planned prequel to Downton that would that was gonna like talk about that called like the Gilded Age or something. It's happening. It is happening. It's being filmed in Albany, and they just sent out a thing for extras actors. Do you want to do it with me? (laughs) Carl, let's go be Downton Abbey. Let's go be in fucking Downton Abbey right now. No, Cynthia Cynthia Nixon's going to be in it. It's like, there's like a whole thing. Kagagoo. (laughs) Gabagoo. Gabagoo, gabagoo. You got to get the... Wow. Yeah. Carl, we got to get to Albany. We got to get to Albany. We got to find our period dress... We gotta from here. <laughs> we gotta heterosexualize ourselves and we gotta show up in Albany ready to work. Just like maybe. I mean, you know, they had they had lavender marriages going on back then. Of course they did. They had pretty oh, much yeah. nothing but that. Cynthia Nixon would take one look at me and be like, honey, what are you doing in a dress? She'd go, You're coming home with me, <laughs> little miss. <laughs> I spilled rosé on my desk. Oh. And it's my last glass. Oh, well. Not too much. But this is what, but like, that's what I'm talking, talking about. I love that. Can't wait to see that production. Um, wait, I don't think it's Cynthia Nixon. I think it's Christine Baranski. Oh. I don't see Cynthia Nixon anywhere here. Oh, I lied. I'm sorry. She's just shockingly, she's shockingly far down this cast list. Maybe she wanted to be. Maybe she wanted to be. She's, I mean, IMDb, there's no rhyme or, not rhyme or reason, but damn, this is quite a cast. No, they're like filming it this summer, I'm pretty sure. Bill Irwin, Christine Baranski. Michael Server. I mean, it's like literally all Broadway actors. <laughs> Linda Iman, Celia Keenan Bolger, Audra McDonald, Deborah Monk, Kelly O'Hara. <gasps> oh my God. Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon as Bertha Russell. Anyway. Oh. Oh, Anna. <laughs> oh, Anna. What are we going to current into you today? One thing that is not in this miniseries that is in the movie is Karenin's creepy little condom. What? In the Joe Wright version. He has this little box. Oh. And it's this creepy little condom. Like a lambskin, like reusable right he's like oh time to go to bed 
as I open my little box and I take out my little, and she's like, I'm tired. No, but you know what this miniseries does have is read aloud from David Copperfield while I try to cop a feel. Mm. He literally, David, cops a feel. And is like, he pulls a full-blown mameha and is like, are you wet down there? And she's like, get out of my britches. Yeah. And he's like, you've been slicked by another man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she and Vronsky have a sexual vibe that is uh, sen- like, a sensuality between them. If Kevin McKidd looked at me, I'd just die. Yeah. Because he's unassumingly hot. He's hot, but he's not like... He's just like... The thing is like... He is a man and she is a woman. That's all there is to it. And it's just like... He doesn't, he does he asks questions, he listens to the answers. He, I mean, listen, it's like, it's not some everyday idiot fuckboy that is going to be drawn to a woman of Helen McCrory's Anna Karenina. No. Of her no. level. This is a man who wants something like that you write about for years and years and years. Because the thing is, like, it's not like Kitty is like a piece of shit. Like, Kitty is like cute and smart and like, fun to be around but Vronsky is like no like I'm on the tip of this woman like I don't like I don't want this girl I need so bored with Kitty after like a one week right he's like like, this woman like knows herself and she's kind of volatile and she's so sexy and she's so natural and worldly that like I just not to say that there's nothing, not to say that there's like something wrong with Kitty, but no, Kitty's, exactly. But that's like why Levin is a better match for Kitty than Vronsky is. Like, Levin worships Kitty the way Vronsky her. worships Anna. Well, and Kitty's finally like, stop putting me on a pedestal. That's actually a great scene. Yes. Um, Kitty, like, Kitty's like, stop putting me on a pedestal. Like, I'm a woman like any other woman. Like, if you want to marry me, marry me. Yeah. And when he's like, and also, I love the fact that they chose this like deliciously hard Scottish actor to play Levin because it's like he's great. He's, I love him. His hair bit, is so beautiful. He's a little bit removed from their world, and it makes sense. Like with his dialect, like it spells it all out. Yeah. And he's like, "Why do you love me? I don't even love me." Like, and she's just like, "Don't make me do this." Yeah. Anna, Vronsky, they have their baby. Anya. Anya. Anya Taylor-Joy. The offspring of uh, of Helen McCrory and Kevin McKidd. <laughs> if you can believe it. Stop. <laughs> That's a she true fact, I'm telling you. Be that hot. <laughs> Say what? She would be that hot. She would oh, absolutely get that in front of the train. Uh, <laughs> my father died in the war. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Which okay, 
he totally died. Like he's got to die in that war. Yeah, no, I think like, like that's the other thing about this adaptation that I was so appreciative of compared to the Joe Wright adaptation yeah. that like you do get, like I, I think part of what's, sour is too strong a word, but like part of what sort of deflates the Anna Vronsky romance in the in the Joe Wright version is that like Vronsky so immediately becomes a piece of shit and like so immediately turns his eye toward Princess Arkina, uh, who's played by Cara Delevingne, truly, truly one of the messier lesbians in the universe. Oh my uh, god! <laughs> but uh, you know, and like it's it's always like very funny to me when she like shows up to act, but uh, to turn her head and giggle into the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Um, but it's like it's such a discredit like it's such a discredit to Bronsky you know that he like proves to be the kind of like fuckboy piece of shit that you kind of always knew he would be which like I think there's validity there's validity in that reading of the character but it's less interesting and compelling to me than than what this adaptation does with Kevin McKidd where it's like he really is very tortured about where his relationship with Anna goes. And the other thing that I want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet, um, that is something that Ashley has said about Anna Karenina that like has has stuck with me a lot. And I think it's like such a perfect way of putting it. The thing about this novel is that Anna outlives her narrative. Yeah. She's supposed to die. At childbirth. Uh, just to die in childbirth with yeah um, and, and when she, she's like ripped in fever and is asking Karenin for all of this forgiveness and she says you have to forgive me you have to forgive him and there's this beautiful kind of peace between the two men and her and that's when she's supposed to die and Kate. she doesn't die and that's hey, and I love the way Ashley put that of she outlives her story. I had this exact conversation with the person I was watching this with. Yes. It was my mother, of course. Um and it I literally would Anna have died if Karenin didn't forgive her. So there's like this alternate mm. universe of like no, I cannot forgive you. She dies. Karenin lives. Uh, Alexei still kills himself, or, like tries to kill himself and succeeds. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's this alternate ending where it could have just stopped there. But Tolstoy's like, no, I'm going to take it a step further. Yeah. He's going to show that like Karenin is he's not a monster he's not that guy you know what i mean it's not like uh goodbye earl you right. know what I mean? oh i right. need to kill my husband because he's you know leave luann it's not like i'm gonna kill my husband because he's so terrible it's i cheated on a decent man with a man who sparked something i didn't even know i had inside me yeah you know what i mean yeah <clears throat> and Karenin's forgiveness actually makes for like a more tragic ending later on. Yeah. Cause then he's like, 
well, I'm certainly not going to give you a divorce and I'm certainly not going to let you see your son and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that based on what Lydia is telling him because he didn't really give a shit before she started like pouring poison into his ear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, oh God, it's just like this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Stephen Delane plays it terrifically. He's such a prig. Yeah. But um, but that's I mean I, I I think that's what is very unique about the story is that you know it it has that opportunity for that very kind of like clean sort of noble ending for her where she she uses her talents of empathy to have to bring these two men to a together and 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 to this common ground. Um, but the common ground is dependent on her dying. Right. And then she doesn't die. Well, and the his whole thing. Uh, hey, what? Vronsky wanted, his forgiveness is what makes Vronsky want to kill himself. Yeah. If he had just said like, fuck you, then Vronsky would have been like, well, fuck you back. Like, yeah. how dare you? And my lover is dead. So I hate yeah. you forever. Let's do it. Like, I don't know. Right. And. And I think that's the thing where it's like, you know, the, the, the story curdles after that, you know, in this, in this way that is like so singular to this novel and so fascinating where it's just like, oh, you know, it, and, and that's the same moment where it's like all the members of society are, are really, really kind of just like, we don't respect you anymore this is just sad now yeah and and uncomfortable for us to to have to navigate and we'd rather just not have to deal with you so you know you 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 stay shut up in in his home and you know you don't have a life anymore because you're a woman in this in this situation and and he is still allowed to have a life because he is still technically a single man yeah um but kevin mckidd's vronsky is it's a more compelling and a more sympathetic i think version of this character in that he's like i don't know what to do because in my mind you should be dead and I've made my peace with that but now you're not and I should be happy for that but now I don't know what to do with all the peace I made with you being dead Mm. you know so it's like he's caught in this in this moment of like I'm ready to move on from this but well, and he thought he was going to die from his right. self-inflicted gunshot wound. Right. You know, they, they're both sort of surviving in ways that they didn't anticipate. And and Vronsky obviously has far more options of how to do that than Anna does. Yeah. Um, but you do get a much stronger sense that he is still tied to her. And this is a, this is a real conflict of like, I don't know emotionally how to navigate any of this. 
And this is all becoming so hard. Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't really stand up to how hard all of this is. Right. Versus what I think you get more of in the Joe Wright version, which is he's just so sick of her complaining. You know, he's sick of her declining mental health and her, uh, you know, her demon as, as it's called in that one. Um, whereas in this, you do get a sense that like, these are just two people who are really at the end of their ropes independently and they're not helping each other. Yeah. And uh, well, I do you know, think something's got to give. You don't you know? get a sense that he is sort of like waiting for the next girl to come along. Like, I feel like in this miniseries, he's sort of like in it with Anna for the long haul, but her behavior becomes so erratic and she's creating these scenarios where it's like, he doesn't love me. He's going to leave me and like all of this stuff. Yeah. And he's like, you need to focus. Like, I understand that you're feeling that way. But the more you create these things, the less I can like be here for you. Right. <clears throat> right. And even when she goes to the train station, she's like, who's, who's, what's her face's carriage picking up? And they're like some random other gal. And she's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> like, it's like, oh God, Anna, you really are like, you're just creating all of this, mm-hmm. which you know that that happens my favorite um the moment where she's like they have that disastrous she goes to the ball she's she's not received he goes to the ball he is received but she's already left and then they meet back up at the apartments and she's like if you really loved me you would have stopped me from going and she says it in some way where you know even she doesn't believe what she's saying. Yeah. Helen McRory plays that so perfectly where she's like almost too tired to talk anymore. And she's like, you just, you, I didn't have to go. You could have, you could have stopped me from going. And it's like, he did. He tried. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, he tried and she does know that. And like, you get that sort of like, it's the knowing versus the doing. Yeah in that moment and it's so crystal clear and beautifully like layered and perfect yeah once again like come on think about think about what your think about what your character wants versus what they're actually saying and doing yeah. we rarely rarely do the two meet in a real human person yes you know what i mean yep it's almost all subtext that's what Chekhov is all about and it's so funny because Shakespeare. That's the fucking uh, Russians. I mean, say what? Say what about Shakespeare? Shakespeare is like very little subtext. If you lie, ten lines later, I'm going to tell you that I lied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and with Chekhov, every single line is drenched in subtext. Mm-hmm. It is cold out today. Yeah. Is it? I didn't notice. And like within those two lines, it's like the whole wealth and breadth of that. I mean, that is one of the things that like I um I was talking about this with Ashley recently. Well, 
are you talking about? We were talking about three sisters. Yes. We were talking about Chekhov. I don't quite remember why, but it, it, it was very interesting to me that like, I, I read a lot of Chekhov before I ever had to act any Chekhov and I've never had to be in a, a, a Chekhov production. Hmm. Um, oh, I was talking about a, a, a good friend of mine from grad school um, directed Sarah Rule's Three Sisters for her um, MFA capstone. Oh, and um, I had very badly wanted to audition for Olga in that because Olga is, you know, for me, for what limited aspirations I would ever have as an actor, Olga is absolutely a, a role that I would love, love, love to play. You're a great actor. Thank you. Yeah. It's something I in, enjoy doing, uh, but I have a hard time focusing only on one character. Sure. Um, I, I, I have a very distinct memory of when I was 14, I was driving to church with my dad and I had read Ro I was I was in the grips of my obsession with Romeo and Juliet which as uh, obviously has never, never left subsided. me. <laughs> <laughs> Say what? It's never subsided. <laughs> yes, this is no, it has never left me. But uh 13 to 14, I mean when I was 13 I rented the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet you know, this is for your for any children listening. We had to you. We used to rent the videos from the video store. We went to the family video on the corner. <laughs> I went to I went to Captain Video. Five minutes from my house, and there was a blockbuster in the same complex, but I we didn't go there. I went to the Captain Video because it was the local business, and I had a better selection. Yes, ma'am. I would from like seventh and eighth grade. I would go to the Captain Video and I rented Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet every weekend yes. for like months. And then it finally occurred to me, because this, again, this is around when DVDs were really kind of like on the up and up. And then yeah. it finally occurred to me, like, I can own this movie. <laughs> right. And I got it on DVD. Um, but boy, I wore out their tape every Friday night. I was there, you know, like a fucking regular. Give me, give me the goods, ma'am. Give me the, give me the R and J, R plus J. Um, but I was so obsessed with that play. And uh, my freshman year, I remember like, and we were reading the play. I remember yeah. driving to church with my dad one Sunday morning. We're, and I was like, dad, I love this place. And my father is the director. And I was just like, dad, I love this place so much. And I would love to play, you know, like and maybe I said Mercutio or whatever, just like, I love this way, but like, but I want to play every character. Yeah. Like I want to play every single character. And he turned, he says, you're a director. Yep. Good grief. You know, and that's, and what you know, at fourteen, here I am at almost thirty, and I, I have such a clear memory of that moment, and that that settled very deep in my spirit of him saying, "That means you're a director." Uh, 
and then getting to direct Romeo and Juliet in college was, uh, was such a gift. But anyway, what the fuck was the Sorry. point of any of that? Talking about me Sorry. being an actor. I have a hard time acting because I have a hard time focusing on a single character. Well, I wanted to say that your production of Romeo and Juliet was starring our uh, pod, pod mother. Yes. Pod sister. Yes. Pod sister. Our uh, pod Julie sister, Julia Masati. Oh my God, Carl. I, I got to tell you, I mean, this part of what makes me so emotional about this new um, production that is available through PBS starring Jesse Buckley and Josh O'Connor is like my like I met Julia because a mutual friend said you two need to meet and you need to talk about Romeo and Juliet so the first time I sat down and spoke with Julia Masati was let's talk about Juliet. Mm. Um, so she meant something so specific to, to both of us. And, uh, but like we were texting, watching it and she was just like, Hey, I, I'm bursting into tears every time she's on screen. This is like, and, and she said, she was just like, I'm thinking of that first conversation we had in the Geneseo Student Union about who Juliet is. And this is her, this is the Juliet we dreamed about. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't even fucking know. I'm probably gonna cut all this cause I don't even remember why I'm talking about it. But uh, it's an incredible, incredible production. They cut out, I mean, they make generous cuts. Mostly right. I'm fine with them. I think they gut the balcony scene too much, um, that you Ooh, lose really? too much of the foundation of what makes you invest in this couple. There's You, you lose a lot of the joy in that scene. Um, not in the performance, but just in the text. You know, there's, there's just more room to, to play between the two of them. Um, that they cut for time in a way that I think like does the thing that I don't like where it takes for granted how much the audience is bringing to the production and already knowing the story where like I think the goal of any any production of Romeo and Juliet should be to make people forget how it ends and you should walk in like not knowing exactly that's and like that yeah that's exactly what I mean where it's like you the balcony scene should be the the pinnacle of forgetting how this is actually going to end you know yeah. this it, it's the most euphoric moment in the in the play and yeah um that's the scene where i think there should be few to if any cuts and they made a ton of cuts in it um so that that part lost a little bit for me but i i appreciated that they cut all the lines about their ages so that like you know, like Jesse Buckley is 31 and Josh O'Connor is 30. And it's like, they are those ages. Yeah. But Jesse Buckley is such a fucking, I don't, I mean, I don't know. She, every emotion well, Juliet is, is like 13 going on. You know what I mean? Like yes. Juliet yes. is so, 
so wise beyond her years. She's yes. so like bookish. She's so logical. Yes. And Romeo is the one who's like, my heart, my heart's on fire. I, I yep. need to, I need to purge. You know, I, I need yep. to, I need this emotion to go somewhere. And she goes, you need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking this through. I mean, that's the whole fucking thing. Like, but she's it, so it, much it, more cerebral. And Jesse Buckley's Juliet is warm and earthbound, but so cerebral. Yep. And perfect. And so thoughtful and everything is considered. And this is a girl who knows herself and that's what, and like, God, we're not even fucking talking. We're, we're done talking about Anna Karenina. We're now moving on to the Whoa. Romeo Juliet portion of this, but like, guess what? We had a week to do this. Yeah. Like Julia. And this is why I, I, I patently reject the reading of this play that is like, this is two like shitty impulsive teenagers. Nope. Who are like making mistakes. Like, no, there is absolutely nothing irrational about Juliet. There is nothing. Nope. Spontaneous almost, about this girl. She is fault. considered. She is pragmatic. She is political. She is strategic. She is wise. You know, and this is, I, and I pulled this up, like. If anything. Say what? She's an overthinker, if anything. Exactly. I mean, my God, that fucking, her, all of her language in the balcony scene is over explaining herself. She is, and this is how, like, we played it and like talking about it with, with, with Julia when we were, when we were doing the production where it's like, she had her balcony monologue of, um, you know, where for art thou Romeo? Like that's her talking to herself. This is her right. on her balcony. The party is over. The retainer is in. The PJs are on. She is not cute. Yeah. She is not glamorous. This is this is Juliet like sitting and like, you know, being dorky yeah. and overthinking this really, really exciting moment. She's like fucking Linda uh Tina Belcher, you know, like. Totally. Like that's Juliet in the balcony scene. It's not this like wistful, like, oh, where for the Romeo. It's like, I'm no. just sitting here alone with my thoughts and nobody is listening to me and I get to yeah. be. Nobody can hear me think. Nobody can hear me think. And then suddenly he's there and it's just oh, like, fuck. <laughs> I should kill myself right now. How did, how did you get here? It's <laughs> like, the first question. How the hell did you get here? like, how did you get here? How long have you been listening? Oh, that long? I, I should probably kill myself right now. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's that kind of thing. And then like, as he's there, she's like having to just like constantly like, Thou knowest the mask of night is on my face. Else would have made blush, but paint my cheek for that, which thou was for me to speak tonight. But, 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 but farewell compliment, you know. Right. Like this, and but it's all that stop and start, you know. So it's like, but farewell compliment. Dost thou love me? I know that will say I, but yeah, you know. But if you do, like, yeah, yeah. But if thou swearest thou mayst, who falls? Right. It's just like, she's just, it's just this constant talking herself into it, talking herself out of it. And Romeo was just sitting there like, 
girl, I'm here. Like I'm down. Like, I don't know how else it's explained it to you. Like I am down for your vibe. And that, that, a lot of that is lost. A, a lot of that component, like Jesse Buckley is, is, gives you that cerebral element in that scene, but a lot of that, that overthinking. Yeah. Goodness is, is kind of lost, but she's so, she's just luminous. And so was Josh O'Connor. They're kind of suicidal the entire time. <laughs> right. Which is, which is interesting. And that, that was something I said to Julie and she was like, I, t- I totally picked up on that too, where it's like, the ending isn't surprising in the way that it's like, oh, cause we've all, we've all read this play. We know how it ends. It's just like, from the beginning, you get the idea that these people are ready to die. Yeah. They want to self-destruct. Yeah. And, and that and impulse. Yeah. Anyway. No, no, no. It's true. It is true. She's it got is that true. sort of like that Nancy Botwin, like, I'm a danger junkie. Uh yeah. if I don't get some danger soon, I'm gonna fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's this need to to man not necessarily manufacture, but to to really ramp up the stakes. For yourself in order to feel something you know and i think that's the thing like by by that point in, in a story i mean I, that is the tragedy like by that point she's she's outlived her story she has no options left she's she's mistrustful of everybody in her life including vronsky right. uh you know it, it she doesn't she doesn't see a way out for herself Steva can't help her because nobody sees her the way she sees everybody else. If, you know, the person Anna needs most in this moment is Anna. You know? If she could do things on her terms, she would. But for some, you know, because of the, because of society and because of uh, everybody's prejudices, she is reliant on other people's viewing of her and her actions whether it's Vronsky whether it's uh Karenin whether it's you know uh Princess Betsy you know whoever it is I don't see Kitty out there going hey Anna I know you need a friend yeah you know she she and Levin are in their own little bubble and but I do I do think that Kitty shows a great uh, you know, he he's all bent out of shape about visiting his brother because his brother has m- married a, a prost- former prostitute and is living and he's got like TB and like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Kitty's like, no, we're going. And they're people. We're gonna, like, and that's, I mean, there's something then. so beautiful in that because like that's totally. where you see how Kitty has grown in, in yeah. knowing Anna. You yeah. know, that's the, that's the Anna in Kitty. And yet Kitty can't extend that to Anna because it's too public. Yeah. Isn't that sad? It is. It is. It's awful. But Dolly can because Dolly is married to Anna's brother. 
So in public, it's like, oh no, she had like a public obligation to talk to Anna, whether she wanted to or not. Yeah. It's like the Marie Antoinette thing where she's like, I don't want to talk to Madame de Berry. And it's like, you kind of have to. You're related to, (laughs) you know what I mean? There are a lot of people in Versailles today. (laughs) Yes, there are. Those are and those are the last words I ever say to her. (laughs) God, Rose Byrne is so incredible in that movie. Oh my God. Oh, look, the chickens are out. The chickens are out. Fabulous. (laughs) Au revoir, Sherry's. Au revoir. Uh, oh no, adieu, adieu, Sherry's. Au revoir. All right. Oh Lord. Anna, I mean, and then Anna dies, <laughs> throws herself in front of that train because she's out of options. In like one of the best versions too of like that yeah. train death where it's like her face and the train is just going by and yeah. going by and going by and it's almost like snapshots of her face yeah it's so tight yeah the kira knightley one is a little is a little weird where she's like underneath the train and you're still watching her and she has more lines and you're still watching her and it's like no she'd be dead i literally don't she's like between oh she's like between cars and she's like Oh God, forgive me. And then like it like hits her, but yeah, she's already jumped in between the cars. Uh, I don't know. Oh. It's very weird. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Well. God bless her. Bless her. And uh Helen McCrory. Goodbye to a, a true legend got her start got her start on stage at the national playing Nina with Judy Dench as her Codna. yeah 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 few few like her a fond farewell had she had she Far gone on, she would have she would have been a Judy Dench. Oh, totally. Well, and I'm hoping that a lot of people use you know can take this as an opportunity to visit her work because so much uh, of it is do. filmed. Yes, so much of it is available to watch. Yeah. So, you Kiki know. Blind. I mean, you know, she played Narcissa Malfoy in, in the Harry Potter movies, but. If you have access to her Medea, seek that out. Peaky Blinders. Um, Penny Dreadful. Oh, God, Penny Dreadful. The Deep Deep Blue Sea, which I I really, really hope NT at Home puts on that site soon. Um, Yeah, she's great. There are so many ways to discover what what a phenomenal actor she is yeah you know yeah truly one of the greats truly one of the greats of yeah. of stage and screen so okay. watch this anna Karenina. it's it's all on youtube so you can find it on youtube 
I purchased a copy on Prime uh, through Acorn TV. You can do that too. Hell yeah. You want to find that and just have it forever. Yeah. Um, there were some discrepancies. The version on Prime slash Acorn TV has extended scenes with like the Levin plot and all of that oh. stuff. Uh, but it also presents it in a very weird format. So it's not like the 16.9, like the usual sort of like computer yeah. dimension. Yeah. It's a little bit more like early 2000s TV, which is what it was filmed for. Yeah. But also, like, if that's jarring to you, if you don't like watching things with that weird ratio, then I guess just watch it on YouTube because yeah. it is a little bit more uh, widescreen. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this Helen McCrory retrospective. Beautiful rambling episode. Rambling Romeo and Juliet retrospective. And we uh, snuck Amy Adams in there a couple times. Amy Adams showed up a couple times. As we should. Um, this is our penultimate season two episode. So up next is our finale. I, I honestly can't believe it. I want to drag it out for so long because... I, I don't even know how I'm going to do just like one notes session. I'm going to need to do I know, like, I, I, I'm going to need to watch through this at least like four times, which like this is not, I mean, to give you, to give you a tease, which I think we've been like steadily teasing this for the you whole season. Y'all probably know what it is. I mean, like half of the people listening to this are like my friends who I've told already, but uh this is this is an example of one of those that I I savored every week watching episodes of this. I think I did too. And uh, I I I so love every time I rewatch it. An incredible incredible miniseries coming up. As this one was, this is an incredible Ada Karenina adaptation. A great miniseries. Uh, so seek this out. Um, but yeah, we're we're very excited, very excited to bring you our finale next time. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Carl. 